Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be back with you here this morning. Uh, we're in a series here at Grace Crossing Church that we've entitled Subplot, and we're uh, the, really the overarching purpose of this series is to inspire all of us to live and to tell more meaningful stories with our lives. Now, a story has simply been defined as a character that wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. Last uh, weekend, when you were here worshiping at Grace Crossing Church, uh, I was actually conducting and leading a service in a 151-year-old Methodist church community. Uh, It was an interesting service. I actually gave my life to Christ in a small Methodist church in Morgantown, Pennsylvania, back in 1982, so it was kind of a little bit of a, of a homecoming of sorts there at that Methodist church. But um, it's, it's a primitive building uh, where the church uh, meets. Uh, there are uh, wooden seats with no padding, uh, no air conditioning in the building, and uh, bats in the rafters of the ceilings. Have I told you how good it is to be back home with you? It's really great to be here. Uh, actually, the problem isn't the bats. Um, The bats actually do what many people do. They sleep during the service. So they're really not the issue. The the bigger issue is the green-eyed flies. I don't know what you call them, but the only air they have in the building is they open up all of the doors, and they turn on these large fans, and the flies, for whatever reason, decided that my face and my head was a good feasting ground. So I had all of these green flies. I don't know what the name of them is, and I guess it really doesn't matter. All I know is that they bite. And they hurt, and they make you bleed. I had one that actually my family told me was feasting on my temple for about a minute, and once it had its fill, it decided to leave, and I had blood coming out of my temple. In fact, my entire forehead uh, at the end of that service had welts on it. I had to put some afterbite on it. Have I told you how good it is to be back home with you here at Grace Crossing Church today? Actually, the big reason for our trip was that we were traveling Uh, to gather for Kelly's mom's 80th birthday celebration. Um, When we knew her birthday was coming, we all wanted to know what she wanted. And mom only wanted one thing for her birthday. She wanted her family together. So all of us kind of arranged our schedules, and we made it a priority. And uh, 22 or four of us actually gathered in, in New Hampshire to celebrate mom's 80th birthday. Now, we had the, uh, the heat wave that fell uh, over uh, New England uh, just like it did here last week. So last Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, the temperatures were soaring into the high 90s, record ten- temperatures. Um, in fact, they were saying that the, uh, the heat index was about 106 degrees. And so every morning, I got up in the cottage with no air conditioning, and I just would walk around mumbling to myself, it's all about mom. It's, this whole trip is about mom. It's not about me. It's all about mom. And it really was all about mom. We just went to celebrate her life and the meaning that she's had. Now, one of the things that we did, we gave her a number of gifts, but one of the most significant gifts that I think you can give any person that we gave her was that we took time on her birthday that every one of those of us that, that had gathered four generations took time to tell her how much she meant to us. Now listen, I have done a lot of funerals in my time. And I can tell you one of the things that surprises me most at funerals 
is how often people show up and say, I wish I had told them this when they were alive. So many people come to funerals with regrets of never having said to a person what they mean to them. And we did not want that to be the case with Kelly's mom. And so we celebrated her 80th birthday and we just told her how meaningful her life has been. In fact, I'll tell you today that my story that I'm living today is in large part due to the story that Kelly's parents lived. The story of their life of wanting to connect all of their kids and all five children know Christ as their Savior. All of their spouses know Christ as their Savior. All of their kids are finding their way somewhere toward Christ along that journey. And we are just excited to be able to gather and say, Mom, we love you and we thank you for investing in our lives. I, I, we talked about this a few weeks ago, actually, when we talked about the fact that a, uh, really a story is a character that wants something. We talked a couple weeks ago about what do we want out of life. Uh, Reality is every one of us wants something out of life. The problem is we tend to want the wrong stuff. And so we've got to begin to want the right stuff for the right reasons. Last Sunday morning, Josh, our family life director, talked about inciting incidents. And inciting incidents occurs um, when something causes or forces you to change. Now there's a, a rule in screenwriting that is true of life, and it's this. Nobody likes change. Now, I know you don't mind change, but everybody else in this auditorium doesn't like to change. We have this aversion. We have this pushback to change. Given the choice, generally, people will choose not to change. So psychologists say it this way. They say, until the pain of staying the way you are hurts more then the pain of change, we typically choose to stay the way we are. It's true, isn't it? A person who lives a boring life, a person who lives a meaningless life, at least has the security that that life is predictable. What happens when change comes into our life is it moves us into the realm of mystery. We all of a sudden lose control. We all of a sudden lose the predictability of life. And it's the very reason that some people will stay with their abusers, because better to have the predictable than to walk into the unknown. That's what change does. Well, in Hollywood, you'll notice that in most movies, if not all movies, the movie starts with the protagonist loving life. Everything's good. He's at peace. Until all of a sudden an inciting incident occurs that moves his life out of the realm of harmony into the realm of disharmony and chaos. It could be he gets bitten by a rabid dog. It could be that he gets accused of a crime he didn't commit. Perhaps he's on a plane that gets hijacked. Something happens that actually begins to produce change. And here's the reality. Have you ever noticed that when chaos comes into our life, we all of a sudden get motivated? We're willing to get off the couch. We're willing to do something about it. Well, that's what an inciting incident will do to all of us. So a story is simply a character that wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. So this morning, we're going to focus on the C word, one word in that statement, the word that all of us love. It's our favorite topic. It's the topic of conflict. Don't we love conflict? Robert McKee, who's one of the leading screenwriters and, and experts in story, actually said this. He said, the only way that you can turn a jerk 
into a nice guy is through conflict. Conflict is the only way to make the weak man strong, a frightened woman brave, an arrogant person humble, and a selfish person altruistic. Characters don't change as long as they're content. Listen, that's true in Hollywood, and it's true in your life as well. You and I simply have a pushback to change as long as we're comfortable and as long as we're not forced to. But Jesus told us, he warned us of this, that life would be filled with conflict. In John's Gospel, chapter 16, I want to read this from the Amplified Version. It says this, In the world you will have tribulations and trials and distress and frustration. But be of good cheer, take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted. For I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. Here's the reality. Great stories in life are filled with loads of conflict. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Conflict is not easy and conflict is not welcomed. The most difficult thing that we can experience, the most frustrating thing of life, the most unwelcome thing of life is conflict. But listen, it is also the most needed thing to tell a meaningful story. Just think about it. The more conflict a character overcomes, the more memorable the story. That's why movies are often made with high doses of conflict. Because they're left and you're left in the story watching. How in the world is this character going to work through this conflict to get back to a state of peace and harmony? How's he going to move through this disharmony that has come into his life, this conflict, to get his life back into order? Well, reality is this. When you go to the theater to take in the newest box office release, what is it that keeps you on the edge of your seat? What do you go anticipating? You and I go anticipating lots of conflict. It's what keeps us from falling asleep in our popcorn, right? It's what gets us excited. And and the more the conflict, the more we are engaged and intrigued by that particular movie. Now, the same, I believe, is true of your life and of my life. Though we don't like conflict, though conflict is not fun, Listen to what I'm about to say. Conflict is good for you, and it's good for me. That's actually what we're taught in Romans chapter 5. It says this, we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. This hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. We can rejoice when we run into problems, trials, and conflict. Listen, conflict is your friend. I want you to say it with me this morning. Conflict is my friend. You do not sound convincing, so I'm going to keep on teaching, okay? Conflict is your friend, so don't treat it like your enemy. That's what we tend to do in life, right? We we tend to think conflict 
is to be avoided at all costs rather than running into it and embracing it and saying, God, there is a purpose in this conflict, in this experience. There is something you're trying to produce in me that cannot be produced any other way. If you're going to get a meaningful story out of my life, it means I'm going to have to learn to overcome conflict after conflict after conflict. And then just when I think I've done the last one, there comes another conflict that we have to overcome. And the more conflict, the more meaningful your story will be. Listen to what Helen Keller said in in reference to this verse in Romans chapter 5. Helen Keller said that character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, can ambition be inspired, and can success be achieved. The most crippling belief that any person in this auditorium can have today is this. Life is easy. If you live your life thinking that life was intended to be easy, you're going to live your life being disappointed with God, being disillusioned, and feeling like God continually is breaking his promises to you. Life was never intended to be easy. Life was intended to be meaningful. And the only way God can get our lives to be meaningful is to take us through conflict after conflict after conflict so that we learn how to triumph and our character gets built and our hope gets strengthened in the fact that this place is not heaven. One day we're going to experience heaven, but that's not here. And so until that day, our hope of salvation continues to build and become stronger and stronger. Now in case you're wondering this morning, and this will surprise some of you, conflict is not simply a result of the fall of mankind. I know it's going to surprise some of you. Uh, Some of you believe that conflict came because man disobeyed God. No, conflict was pre-written in the script of mankind. It actually predates the eating of the forbidden fruit in Genesis. And that's what the Bible teaches. It actually tells us in Genesis chapter 2 of the very first conflict, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper that's just right for him. Listen, guys, that's a huge conflict, isn't it? None of us like to be alone, male or female. But in this case, here you have Adam, who actually has this longing within him. There is a loneliness within him. He had God, but still he wanted something. But the thing that he wanted didn't exist. It wasn't as though Adam met Eve and forgot her phone number. She wasn't there. The only gender status on Facebook was male. That was it. And that's all that he had to live with and to put up with. And so so God sees this. God recognizes his conflict. And what does God do? How does God respond It's very interesting, the very next two verses. So so the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and the birds of the sky and said, here you go. And still none of them, the Bible says at the end of this passage, still there was no helper just right for him. So for years, Adam actually has the animal kingdom that's brought out of the earth and not one of those helpers or not one of those animals are suitable 
for him. That's an important note in our culture today to remember. He still wanted something. He was longing. But he was longing for something that doesn't exist. And so what does God do? God actually does the most creative thing that we see in the whole narrative, something that had never happened before and never happened since. Have you ever stopped to wonder, why did not God just produce Eve the exact same way that he did Adam? Why didn't God reach his hands into the dirt, fashion Eve, and breathe life into her? It's because God wanted Adam to live his entire existence with a reminder. A reminder that that good things come in life through conflict. A a reminder that if you're going to experience anything of great value and great worth, it's going to cost you something. Listen, I think the things that we value most in life are the things that cost us the most. And we tend to devalue things that come easy, don't we? Things that really don't cost anything, that actually don't take anything out of us, we don't appreciate the way that we should. So what does God do? Verse 21 and 22, the Lord God caused this man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made the woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. It is the first recorded anesthetized operation that we read about. God actually performs a surgery on Adam. Why? It's because every time he felt that twinge in his rib, every time he saw that scar, every time there was a little pain when he bent down the wrong way, it was a reminder. A reminder that something had to be paid. There was a cost that had to come. If you were going to experience overcoming this conflict, if you were going to enjoy the reward, you had to also know that there's going to be conflict along the way. Here's what I think conflict does. I think conflict adds value to life's accomplishments. When we accomplish great things in life and we do it through hardship, through difficulty, through trial, we savor it so much more, don't we? We enjoy it in such a deeper way than when something just comes easy to us. I think honestly, as I look back on the narrative of Grace Crossing Church, that's our story. Our story didn't come easy. Some of you weren't here when this church was built, when we were planted here, but before this for four years on the campus of Wright State University. Those were tough years. We had tough days. Some of you have been on that journey with us, and you know what that was like. And I can tell you, every time I step into this building, especially after getting eaten by flies, I really appreciate everything God has done. And I appreciate our story because I lived through a lot of the conflict and a lot of the pain and a lot of the difficulty. I think the children of Israel that Josh talked about last weekend, uh, it really bears this out. What was it that gave them an appreciation for God and for God's presence and for God's provision? Let me tell you what it was. It was the fact that they had to undergo conflict and hardship. Can you imagine for just a moment, had the children of Israel been taken out of Egypt with absolutely no conflict and no struggle? If it had been just easy to get up and go, and then an 11 days journey takes them 40 years. But can you imagine if they did it in 11 days? A little over two weeks, 
They're vacationing in the wilderness, loving life. They come into the promised land. They have everything they could ever want. But here's the problem. They don't appreciate it. They take credit for what belongs to God. They assume they did what only God could do. And I just got back from a trip in a five-seat vehicle with five people, one of those being a one-year-old child. I wonder how many times that Moses had to answer the question, are we there yet? For 40 years, he was asked the question, are we there yet? No, we're not there quite yet. And why did it take 40 years? It had to take 40 years because God was developing them. God was trying to produce something in their narrative. He was actually trying to give them a story to tell when they got to the promised land. That would be meaningful and significant. And would to- it would point other people away from them and toward God. There's one part of the story in Genesis chapter, or Exodus chapter uh, 14, just before the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea. It, it's a part that, that many times we don't even think about. Here's God leading them. Behind them is this Egyptian army that's bearing down on them. It's just really uh, within eyesight of, uh, eyesight of where they are. And they know that they're in trouble. And then God does something miraculous in Exodus chapter 14. Then the angel of the Lord, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind. The pillar of cloud also moved in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and the armies of Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side, and light to the other side. This is miraculous. I don't think that the children of Israel knew that the angel of the Lord had moved. But what they did know is that the cloud moved. I don't know how many of you saw the, uh, the beautiful sunset last evening. After a rainy day and the sun came out, there was just this beautiful cloud formation. I was out on the back of my deck and the light this from the sun setting was behind it. And so the entire outline of that cloud was just lit up bright. And I was thinking about what it would have been like on the other side of that cloud and on the side that I was on when it was getting dark. Here are the Egyptians. For them, it's pitch black. They can't see where the Israelites are. But on the Israelite side, the sun is shining bright. They're doing their job. Moses is doing what God instructed him to do, and God is beginning to part those seas to take them through on dry ground. What's miraculous about this is that that was going to frame for them God's provision. It was going to point to them and add value and meaning and significance to the accomplishment. At the end of the story in Exodus 15 when they crossed the Red Sea, uh, the story that they sing is not about look how wonderful we are. The story they sing is look how wonderful God is. Look at how God has triumphed in the midst of our conflict. That's exactly what God wants our story to be. God wants your story and my story not to point to us. God wants our story to point to him. And so what does God do? God invites all of us into his conflict. Now, I know that's going to surprise some of you because you thought you were getting invited into a peaceful life. It's not true. You're invited into a life that's filled with conflict. The Bible is filled with conflict. 
Why is it filled with conflict? Because it's the story about a character God who wants something and is overcoming conflict to get it. And that conflict is filled with everything we do in life. And so why did the early church, why did the early apostles follow Jesus? Why did they suffer for him? Why did they struggle and and, and endure conflict for him? It's because they wanted to be a part of something meaningful, something bigger than them, something that was going to outlast them. Paul, while he's serving in a Roman imprisonment in Philippi, writes a letter. And in the first chapter of of Philippians chapter 1, here's what he says. I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped the spread of the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and they boldly speak God's message without fear. Paul was not saying, I love being a prisoner. Paul was not saying, I love being in these chains. Paul was not saying conflict is wonderful. What he was saying was this, my conflict serves a purpose. These chains serve a higher purpose, and they add meaning to my story. What's the purpose? What's the meaning? The meaning is that the gospel is being spread. Followers of Jesus are being emboldened to talk openly about him, and many people are being saved. We're actually part of what Jesus came to do, the saving of many lives. And so here along the way, what they're saying is people are being transformed, and we get to be a part of it. Our conflict is part of the master story, and that's good news. And so what does Jesus do? When Jesus invites us to be a follower, what is he inviting us to? He is not inviting us to an easy life. He's inviting us to a meaningful life. When Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verse 10, I came that you may have life, And have it abundantly. When he said this, he was not talking about having a life that is conflict-free. He is saying, I'm inviting you to live a life that is abundantly full of meaning and significance and value. And how do you live that kind of life? You do it by taking up his cross. By following him. By going through the hardships, the difficulties, the pain, the conflict. Because you love him. And because you're willing to stay the course and endure until the very end. Jesus makes this statement in in Matthew chapter 11, and I love this. Because it's a beautiful invitation to what he invites us to. Here's what it says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and might I add, conflicted. Come to me, all you who are conflicted, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear, and my load is not hard to carry. Jesus here is not suggesting that our life is going to be easy or without conflict. What he is suggesting is this, when the burdens become difficult and too heavy, I'm going to carry them with you. 
When life becomes overwhelming, I'm right beside you. And though your body is racked with pain, I'm going to give you rest for your soul, for your inner person, the part of you that will live forever. I'm here to help you. And I'm here to walk with you. And I'm here to see your greater potential. A potential that you don't even realize you have. But I see it in you. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.